Good morning. It's like a nice, cozy group today. Um, y'all are the folks that aren't watching the World Cup, so um, I, I feel like we're probably one of the few churches that like probably embrace that more than American football. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, sorry. Austin's not not. Ha- it's probably true though. It's probably true. Um, excited to be with y'all this morning. Um, Before we get started, I'd love, just as a follow-up to last week and our time that we spent talking about prayer and diving deep into our motivations for prayer and and how we pray, I'd love to hear maybe from one or two people on how the Lord has been shaping you this week and what you've seen through the Holy Spirit just in praying and, and dwelling with Him. A couple people wanted to speak up and share. We'd love to hear it. but I'd love to hear it. I can, I can share. Um, so I think one thing that was, was really impressionable, um, I mean, Lauren and I, neither of us really got to partake in, in hearing um, on Sunday. So we both got a chance to check out the podcast and listen and um, individually, which is really cool in our own time, um, getting to be influenced by um, what we spent time talking about last week. And a few of the things that really stood out, I think, were, number one, just the, the level in which we speedily enter into prayer as opposed to slowly entering that space and being willing to listen to uh, the Holy Spirit, and um, also I think too uh, the idea of praying within the systems that we have, and we've built a culture and a system around um, how things work, and we adhere to that, not just in prayer, but also just how we go through life. And so, this has been a really interesting week. Um, at at work, we we had a, a um, an employee. A lady I sat next to um, at her office, she actually passed away this week. And it's one of those things where you just, you don't even know. She was on vacation and just all of a sudden she's gone. And you weren't even praying for her health on her vacation because you didn't expect something like that to happen. Um, and I know, you know Brian had a, a friend of his pass away this week and it's just been a week full of just crazy stuff going on and um, just it, it's a reminder to sit back and, and just 
look to God and, and listen to him and, and ask what do we even pray for in these times where we don't know what to say to a mourning family. We don't know how to fully embrace uh, someone who's going through something that's that difficult. Um, so um, it's been, been really prominent. I know it impacted a lot of people who were here on Sunday and got a chance to hear. Um, and my prayer is that we would just move forward in that, that um, faith and hope in, in the Holy Spirit and what, how he can move um, going forward. So um, excited to see how that impacts our church um, in, in the near future. But so getting into where we're going to be this week, um, if y'all wanted to open up, we're going to be in Acts 12, 19 uh, through chapter 13, verse 3. So a couple of different chapters here. Uh, if y'all wanted to open up to that, and, and as you're opening... Um, someone catch us up where we're at with um, where the church is, where we just left off last week, uh, you know, who, who were the main players and what we talked about last week, and, and what's, what's kind of going on with the church right now. I mean, that's perfect. Um, so last week we had, um, we, we started with, with King Herod. He had, had killed James, um, who was one of the believers, uh, was persecuting the church, imprisoning members of the church. That included Peter, who we, is a prominent player who, who knew Jesus personally. Um, and, and we've been encountering Peter as he's been going throughout um, the time here in the last few chapters. Peter breaks out of prison, thanks to the Lord. Um, angel leads him through, and, and to the, uh, I, the thing I kept coming back to this week is um, leads him to this group of people who I thought of, they're prayerful doubters, right? And I like kind of think about kind of myself that way sometimes, is we try and be prayerful, but we're doubting as well. And shows up, um, he... Uh, encounters these people, welcomed in um, by a servant girl, um, which has its own level of intrigue there. That's, that's impressive. And so uh, he comes into this space. They all see him. Honestly, it's probably one of the last times we're going to see Peter throughout Acts. And we're not even halfway through Acts yet. So, um, And so where we leave that um, is... Herod, after finding out Peter escapes, orders the execution of the guards that were overseeing his captivity. So let's pick up in uh, chapter 12, verse 19. 
All right, and if you don't have something, we've got it up on the screen. Perfect. <clears throat> then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. We'll stop there for right now. <laughs> Pretty cool. So there's a lot going on here, and we'll, we'll get to the, the worms and death part. Very, uh, very interesting piece, but we'll, we'll pause on that. There's a lot of context here that I wanted to dive into to help us understand really what's going on between these various people groups and Herod. So what do we know? We've encountered Herod multiple times in Scripture. What do we know about him? Where, what have been the prominent scenes that he has been at all the way from Jesus' birth up until now? So, yeah, so that's um, King Herod number one. So there's actually from King Herod that we encountered with Jesus to this King Herod, three different Herods. So there's a line of individuals here. I thought you said it to the Correct, yeah, so perfect. That's numero uno, so all the same family here. Um, King Herod number one. Um, death of the innocents. This is a prominent thing in Jewish history. And that's perfect lead-off right there. And then we encounter him again, right? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Different, different Herod. So this is Herod, um, Herod the Tetrarch, um, which we see later on in this passage. Uh, so, Herod number two. Um, so, it's kind of tough to follow because the writer refers to King Herod multiple times, but different individuals. So, the beheading of John the Baptist, right, um, to help out or, or benefit Herodias, um, his spouse, uh, who wanted that. Uh, and then, also, with um, Jesus, he's... Um, counseled, uh, had workings with Pontius Pilate. Um, there was a relationship there where there was counsel sought to get the opinion of King Herod. So that's Herod the Tetrarch. And then we encounter King Herod number three, and he's actually king. So Herod the Tetrarch number two, technically not king 
of the Jews. King Herod, number three, is king of the Jews, which is a big deal um, because that's given to him by the Roman uh, council. So we see this King Herod persecuting the church, very zealous, um, very much about Jewish culture, um, but also one who is very ingrained in the Roman culture as well. So that's number one, right? So King Herod, he travels up to Caesarea from Judea. So Judea is the region, probably in Jerusalem, which is the capital, heads up to Caesarea, which is more of like a border town, a prominent town, uh, and Tyre and Sidon are north of that in uh, an area called Phoenicia, um, also a.k.a. Syria to the Roman people. And so think about that, you know, if, if we put it in terms of today, it'd be like the President of the United States going from Washington, D.C. to a border town, say, north of us for, for Canada, would be like Buffalo or Detroit, right across from Toronto. So Tyre and Sidon, like Toronto, heading up to Caesarea, like a border town in the U.S. These people... Um, Literally, the people of Tyre and Sidon are quarreling with King Herod directly. Not too different from our president, right? Has no problem quarreling with individuals from other countries. Um, so that's important because over time, um, Israel, the Jewish people, are never in control of that region. It never stretched that far north. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar attempted to lay siege to that area, but was unsuccessful in conquering it. And so what we know is Canaan or Judea is a very prominent area, and both of them probably want each other's territory. So this quarreling is not anything new. It's been there for some time. And so he goes and addresses this group of people because one of his subordinates... Blastus um, has the, the people of Tyre and Sidon have, have curried favor with him and so Herod's like alright fine I'll talk to them I guess so it's like think about this President of the US goes up to Detroit people of Toronto come to Detroit and are the crowd President of the United States is talking to this group of people who are not even his citizens okay and so they're asking for peace from King Herod. One of the main reasons, and if we look back a couple of chapters, they're, they're asking for, for peace because of the prominent food supply that Jerusalem and Judea has. It's the land of milk and honey, prominent food, um, a lot of resources that are necessary for them. What we know about Tyre and Sidon uh, throughout history is they were prominent builders. They had a lot of resources of cedar and wood, stone, and so and a lot of skilled builders in the area. They had built a couple of the temples for various kings of Israel. So there was probably somewhat of trade going on for food, for resources, etc. So probably what we had going on here was the likings of a trade war, which we're familiar with. <laughs> right? So 
King Herod's probably like, well, I have the resources. I've got food, right? That's kind of important. I can probably withheld and get more resources from these people so that we can continue to build on a larger scale. So they have this meeting. And King Herod gets up in front of these people that are not his citizens, not members of his people group, different people group. And he gets up in front of them wearing royal robes, which could mean a couple of things. Um, the word Phoenicia translated into Greek is purple because in the area at this time, what, what one of their main exports in addition to wood and stone and builders was a sea urchin that if you ground it up, um, it produced a purple dye. And what purple dye was used back in that time to do was for dyeing royal robes. So when King Herod shows up in front of them, if he's donning his royal robes, he's probably wearing some form of purple, which is an appeal to this group of people. They, they see, oh, he's wearing what we gave him because we had this resource. We sent it off to them. It's low supply. He's a king. He deserves to wear it. So based on some other research, um, one, one of the main Roman Jewish scholars of the time, Josephus, talks about King Herod in this meeting, in this meeting donning a lot of silver as well. Um, and Josephus said it was a very sunny day that day. So think about this. You could have a, a king up in front of a group of people He's on the stage by himself in this chair, flowing purple from this people of Phoenicia that they produced, they gave him as a gift. He's also got a ton of silver on that's reflecting off of the sun out to the people. As they're looking upon them, it's almost blinding. Okay? So they're doing this and they're thinking, whoa. I'm looking upon him, everything he's wearing right now, like I can barely see this is nuts. I, I don't know what to do with myself. I can't see. He's wearing stuff that we gave him. This is a God. And what does Herod do with that when they praise him? Nothing, right? <laughs> He does nothing. He just kind of is like, all right, I'm good. Yeah. Nice. I'm happy about this. He, he doesn't, scripture doesn't say that he says, yeah, look at me. I, I am a king. I am a god. I, I am the one that you need to bow down and worship to. And he also doesn't deflect it. He doesn't say, no, praise God to whom all blessings flow. He says nothing. And then we get to the fun part where he is struck down by an angel of the Lord. He is eaten by worms and then he dies in that order. He's, he's not a decomposed body then eaten by worms. He is eaten by worms and then he dies. So 
looking at a couple of other historical accounts, I was like super curious about this week. I feel like I'm getting some of the weird ones, right? I had the scales. I had the scales falling off of Saul's eyes, and I've got, I've got this this worm deal here. <laughs> so, what it sounds like, and and from some historical accounts, is that there was Herod was overcome with illness when he's in front of this group of people. We don't know how long he's up there, um, but we, we hear that he's overcome by an ailment. And from all accounts, it's an ailment of the stomach, from what we can tell. So he is overcome with this. He, from what we can tell, acknowledges that it's his time to go, and that's divine providence from God for him to go. So he acknowledges that it's at God's hand. And so from what we can tell, it's probably some form of intestinal worms that overtook him. So there you go, worms. Uh, and then he dies. And that's it. He's dead. So I'd love to hear from y'all, like, this happens immediately after he just doesn't do anything. I don't think, like, in life we encounter circumstances where People are calling us a god. So I don't know that that necessarily applies to us. But just, just like Ananias and Sapphira, this is really similar in the immediacy of God's direction based on something that does not please, please him. I'd love to just hear, like, why do you think God did that? What does that mean? I think it's interesting that later Paul and Barnabas have a similar story and they lose their minds trying to convince everyone they're not God. Like they freak out and they start screaming that no, they're not God. No, we're men. We're men. We're men. And they are apparently, everyone apparently knows the story and doesn't want that to come of them either. Mm. You know? And, and wants to, they want to give credit as well. But I mean, right. I mean, it is something to it because later all the disciples that get accused of that, our apostles, yeah. are so quick. Like, no, no, no. No, I'm, I'm just a man. Peter did the same. Just a bit ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, 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 I'm just a man like you. I'm a man like you. So, I mean, whatever that adds to it, that's part of the, the world yeah. around them. So. Well, it's curious, too, right, that God chooses to strike down the person that is being portrayed as a god and not the people that are falsely misinterpreting that, right? Like, I'm granted these people aren't Jewish. They're not, they're not following um, the God of and the, the the God of the Israelites. But it is it is curious that that continues to come up, and that idolatry of a leader continues to come up. speaking in name, not sort of pursuing power blindly. 
sure. And I think probably, too, us as oftentimes followers can heed the fact that this continues to come up and we continue to see groups of people view someone in that stature. It's a, a check on ourselves, too, to not, to not give that power not to someone. somewhere where it's not. Right. That's good. So let's pick back up in verse 24. There's a, a big segue here. <laughs> But the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's a pretty quick segue here. It's almost like we had a, a quick change of scene to follow Herod and and find out what happened to him. And then we're like, all right, back to the church. So in this time, uh, where we see probably a famine happening um, in much of the Roman world, the church is still continuing to spread. The Holy Spirit's continuing to move. And we pick back up with Barnabas and Saul, who we haven't seen in some time. We've primarily been focusing on Peter. We got a little glimpse of where Barnabas and Saul were recently. Where did we last encounter them? Antioch. So um, Barnabas had headed up to Antioch, and we know that Saul after being in Jerusalem, went up to Tarsus. Barnabas went and grabbed Saul and said, hey, Saul, you got to check this out. Let's go to Antioch, hang out there. They spent a year there, from what we could tell. And there was also some prophecy spread about this famine. And so in that same time, Paul and Saul and Barnabas at some point went to bring resources to the church in Jerusalem to aid them throughout that famine. So they must have had some resources up there to help them out. And then they came back to Antioch. And they have this meeting. It's a really interesting group of people in this meeting. I think it's easy to kind of brush over who is, who is here because we don't really hear much from the three other people other than Saul and Barnabas, which is interesting. We hear first about Simeon, also called Niger. Um, 
So what that, that term means, it, it is a derivative from the Latin word for black. And that's uncomfortable because I know we've built a lot of prejudice around that word and terrible things have done, been done using that word or a derivative of that word. But what this says here is someone who's probably from a main region of Africa is a prominent, prominent player in the church in Antioch. So we, we've seen, we've encountered um, him, we've encountered an Ethiopian eunuch. These are people that are far away from where Antioch is, and they hear about what God and the Holy Spirit are doing at Antioch, and they move as fast as they can up there and have a prominent role in the church up there. There's Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is uh, modern-day Algeria or Libya, around that region. So also an African man, um, a little bit north of probably where Simeon's from. And then we have Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So what do we think that probably means about Menaean? Where, where is he from? What, is, what does that speak to his, his status? He's a rich kid. Rich dude, right? He's probably kind of like, with, with his, his wealth, similar to where Saul was in his prominence in the Jewish culture and synagogue. His, his wealth was to Saul's religious stature. So we have a dude from northern Africa, probably central Africa, a couple guys from, one from Tarsus, north of Jerusalem, one probably from Jerusalem, and then we have Barnabas. Speaks to the level of beautiful diversity at the church of Antioch, and the desire to have that diversity represented in a place of prominence and the desire to listen to and hear from teaching from people with different backgrounds. And so what I find interesting is the process through which they reach a decision. And we hear about the Holy Spirit speaking and and helping people arrive at the decision that needs to be done for the kingdom of God to continue to spread. We talk about last week not having a formula for prayer. I don't necessarily think this is a formula, but I think it represents a posture of the heart and the attitude of these leaders in the church. It says that they are in a moment of worship and fasting. They take time and the Holy Spirit speaks. It didn't say that Barnabas and Saul in the group of five were trying to convince one of the other three to vote alongside of them to send them out. 
so that they had a majority. It says that the Holy Spirit spoke. Which I take that to think that it's probably unanimous with these people. There's a level that we've been encountering throughout Acts of submission to others and the Holy Spirit is moving people forward in that. It's not democratic. It's not about fairness. It's about trusting what God's going to do. Now look at that, I'm like, pretty far from what our society values. It's pretty far from how we look at and how we make decisions as a church. I like to think that we're in prayer together on ways that we go. But in all honesty, we're probably somewhat divided when we're making big decisions. You know, it's, it's tough for me not to think about the leadership at our church and how we make decisions as elders, right? Like, we trust y'all. We have faith in y'all. We submit to y'all. And we hope and we pray that the decisions we arrive to are of the Holy Spirit and not just a vote. And thinking about last week, too, honestly, we just don't pray enough together as a church. We love each other. We do a lot of great stuff together. I think we can, can search and grow in that and see where the Holy Spirit will take us and seeing that he's bringing diverse people, people from all different backgrounds to arrive at the same conclusion thought would, he, would be that he probably would do the same with us. You know, they, it, it probably went something along the lines of, oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, you want us to go out and do stuff. You want us to go out and share your good news. Okay, we submit to that. Who are we going to send? Saul and Barnabas, it should probably be y'all. Let's continue to pray and fast and let's send you guys out well. I hope that as a church, if at any time we felt, shoot, we need to send out the Evers and the Metters, that would be really hard for our church. but it would be my hope that we would bear in that and trust in that and submit to that.
So it's my prayer as we go out as a church this week, this next month, this summer that's crazy, that we continue to talk to one another and foster community at our church, and in doing so, we would continue to pray with one another. That the Holy Spirit would reveal to us where we need to move as a church, as a collective unit, not as individuals within the church, but as a body as a whole. Because I know we have a lot to offer. I've seen it. What all of y'all do collectively, individually, when we, when we choose to embrace that, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So in that, let's, let's pray together, and then we'll enter a time of communion. Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and that you are God and that we are not. That you sent your son and showed us who you are. You're a God that loves diversity. A God that moves in spite of our differences and because of our differences, that when we truly trust you collectively, you move even more prominently. Lord, we desire to submit to you together as we go out into the world, Lord. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.